what I try to do is make them think about how to achieve a state where they can engage in something new without feeling like it's a total burden for them from the start. And that's a question that I try to ask, are we there yet? Can you really invest your time, your mental capacity into something new, really engage in that, also be free to experiment without just having the second after sort of like, oh, I don't have time for that. And if I do this, then that will follow. And then I need to postpone these meetings and they go into this whole consequence negative thinking. You are listening to Dreams with Deadlines. I'm your host, Jenny Harold. In this episode, organizational development coach and OKR expert, Natalia Halezo shares valuable insights on implementing OKRs. From leadership engagement to setting realistic commitments and making time a priority, Natalia provides practical guidance for successful OKR adoption. Here are a few things we talked about. The importance of education, continuous improvement, and conscious implementations. We wrap up with our signature quickfire questions. Let's jump in. As always, I am super stoked because today I have Natalia Halezu with us today. She's worked with people development and transformation in that field since 2010. She's an author. If you haven't read her book, OKRs at the Center, correct me if I'm wrong. I think that's yeah. right. Um, she's an organizational development coach, OKR expert, supporting companies who are wanting to increase focus, autonomy, value creation to identify and prioritize their challenges, set valuable goals, and continuously improve. So welcome to the show, founder of OKRs at the Center. Natalia, it's great to have you here. Yeah, thank you so much for the invitation, Jenny. <laughs> So we're going to break this up, I think, into kind of chunks. Let's start with the positive things like optimism. What are some of the common motivations of businesses that come to you and ask for your help? Yeah, I guess many companies are kind of leaders of companies who reach out to me. They're at different stages in their OKR journey. So either they're thinking about, could OKR be something that actually helps me with my current business challenges? Could it be something that, for example, enhances focus because we're doing way too many things at once? But I guess most of my clients actually have already some experience with OKRs, but they bump into either the same challenges over and over again, or they actually feel like they don't really get enough benefits out of working with them. So they haven't fully given up on them. They still believe that it can be a valuable tool, but they're struggling to actually make it work. Mm. And I think the third group coming to me are really people who would like to enhance their knowledge, their education. That's where a kind of yeah education and internal roles or sparing for process almost comes into play. That makes sense. Since you're a pro, you're an expert in this field, what would you say are some of the advantages or disadvantages of using OKRs? Most people talk advantages, want to hear your thoughts, but equally, like, what are some of the disadvantages, if any, of using this methodology? Oh, absolutely. I always think there are two sides to the coin, right? So I think when it comes to OKRs, to me, they really, yeah, they foster a culture of communication, of decision-making, and of learning around the most important strategic topics. So if we break that up, for me, a big advantage is really that teams, individuals, and entire organizations start talking about goals, the relation to the strategy, the interactions, the dependencies with other teams, what they find most important, what they then set out of scope, and all these things that are often implicitly clear, but I think through OKRs, they really have the chance to make the implicit explicitly clear. And I think that's a very important step. And so when it comes to the decision making, then they also go the step of actually making an explicit decision that can be clearly communicated, for example, also to other teams. And then it's also committed by 
the other team members. It's not just one person doing something, but it's actually we made a decision together. We want to stick with it. And we also create a reference point by doing so that we can use later on if we might get insecure or if we might get new information. And when it comes to the learning part, it's really that it enhances the learning cycles and often the speed for organizations to learn from their experiences, from their goal achievement or non-achievement, and can reflect that back into what they're doing in the next step. So I think these three areas really bring a lot of yeah potential advantages if I use them, but if I also then act on what I find that might not be yeah correctly working in the situation I'm currently in. So that's a positive side, but I think if you look at the other side, what I often see is that especially if organizations or individuals don't really understand the concept of OKRs and choose very wisely how and where to implement it, it can actually maintain or yeah sometimes even enhance existing dysfunctions. For example, mm. silo thinking between functional parts or lead to hasty strategic decisions because they didn't really take time to build the foundation. Now we just fall into an OKR workshop. We didn't take time to yeah build a strategy. Let's just do it quickly in an OKR decision workshop. And so that kind of sometimes leads to more harm than actually good if I am not very cautious about then also the implementation. And I think that way, many organizations, unfortunately, apply OKRs in a way where they also waste a lot of time and resources for very little results. That is unfortunate. Maybe we can yeah. talk about like, company goals being too optimistic. How do you know <laughs> if a company's goals are too optimistic or unrealistic? Like you mentioned, kind of the precursor to this is let's jump into an OKR setting workshop without having set strategy, you're going way too fast. But now we've gotten, let's say that we have all that foundation in place, the strategy set, we're very clear on why we wanna do OKRs, everyone understands it. Next up, we're setting these OKRs. How do you know that they're asking too much of themselves when they're setting? Yeah, I think that two different yeah, focus areas that I'm not, I wouldn't say testing, but at least trying to observe certain patterns in teams or in organizations. And I think the one is, if they approach their goals and they say basically yes to everything. So I think even already in the definition process, I'm very closely trying to observe how much do they actually say no to something. And I always try to yeah, at least foster a culture where we also work with something that I would call the kill board in OKR definition. If this is the focus, what is then not the focus, for example, for the next three months? The idea of kill your darlings doesn't mm. mean that you can never come back to the idea or you cannot park it for the next quarter or something. But what do you really consciously and committedly then also say no to? And if there is nothing on the kill board, then that already gets me thinking in terms of is there really nothing that you said no to? So is everything then a focus? And I would already question that. And I think the other point is also I'm looking closely towards what else is out there because most of the teams that I work with or that I know, they use OKRs for strategic focus topics, meaning there is still a lot of business as usual. People might have other requirements from other stakeholders or even other positions that they need to fulfill. So it's how realistic is it with what you planned here that it may be only yeah, planned for 20, 30 or maximum 50% of your resources? Or did you set goals that kind of fall into the trap of, oh, what is possible? We kind of forgot about all the other requirements and maybe all the other stakeholders that you want to serve as well. And I think mm. then it gets tricky for teams if they don't really considerate that. And I think what is also a very practical trap, especially now over the summer, is people just simply forget there is stuff like vacations, parental leave, holidays, and stuff like that. So 
I often do something very practical with the teams, just listing out who is on vacation, what are the holidays, what else is going on, and what is then actually the time that we have for our goals, and then check back on the OKRs we set. So is that now realistic? Is that a match or where we may be a little over-optimistic when it comes to that? What a great idea, this idea of creating, like looking at the real-world scenarios as you're setting. And the two things you're talking about, this kill board where you're thinking to yourself, you just committed to this. What are you not going to do? And almost equally getting commitment on the not what you know the things that you're not going to do. I think that's great. But also looking at the time commitment that also might be necessary so that you can actually figure out how you're going to achieve those goals within a cycle. I think those are some great ideas. The funny thing is, though, that this is often the harder part, right? Even mm. teams who are experienced with OKRs and say, oh, it's going really great. As soon as you move into that direction, then the tough discussions come up, right? Then it's not so easy to make everything work. Then you need to have yeah, the difficult conversations on what then to put on the killboard and whom's wish not to fulfill and things like that. And I think that's where it gets interesting and also real. I can only imagine what that kind of environment would feel like, especially given the different kinds of cultures that I have been familiar with before, because that can determine how quiet or loud the room might get. Okay, so was there ever a scenario where you didn't do your quick assessment and it brought a bit of trouble? Because it sounds like you do a lot of good homework in trying to assess the, your audience, the teams that you're working with. But was there ever a time that it, it went sideways? What happened? Oh yeah, absolutely many times. I think especially in my early days when I started to work with OKRs, I was not as persistent to doing that than I am today. More often comply with the customer's wishes of, yeah, let's just get that started. We've got everything in place. And I was more, yeah, torn to rely on that scenario. So I think what often got me into trouble is when I just believe people what they tell you about the organization. And I don't mean that customers lie to you, but it's just a very different thing of what they think is going on in an organization or what they think about their level of agility and their experience with something and then what kind of prerequisites you actually find when you work in a team or in a workshop and what you can then build on. So I think for me, it's become really important to gain yeah, a really realistic impression of where they're at, what the potential challenges are. And that kind of brings me back to the assessment you mentioned that I really want to get to know an organization or a team before I start working with them with OKRs to at least have a little more sense of, okay, where are we actually at? And then to also determine, okay, is maybe a step in between necessary to, yeah, to create a solid foundation where we can then start working with OKRs consciously and not end up in a chaos in the first workshop because that doesn't serve anyone, right? Mm. So I think it's more also preventing me from getting into trouble, but also setting me on the team up for success to really, yeah, doing something valuable in the workshop. Natalia, what a great kind of product management mindset you have regarding this, because when you work in product there is a difference between what your customer will tell you they need versus what they actually need. And so what they say versus what they do might be drastically different. And it sounds like you're applying that same, yeah, the same ideas to product management as you are in working with the organizations that you support with the methodology. I think that's fantastic. Very cool. I think that's right. Sometimes I would say I even maybe go one step further. I don't know if you know the saying in terms of 
give them what they want in order to actually give them what they need. 100%. So sometimes you need to give them something when they think, oh, it's just OKRs. We don't need any strategy work. We don't need any team development. You're like, sure, let's do an OKR workshop. And then you can always put in little modules of other things that you might find relevant in order to get them forward. So you've mentioned when we met that one of the reasons why people seek you out, and because there's this is a burgeoning field, there are quite a few OKR experts and coaches out there in the market today, but people seek you out because you are very much pragmatic. You say what you're going to do, and you're very pragmatic about your approach. To that end, let's talk about senior management, because this is very important to get senior sponsorship with OKR programs help set us up for success. What are some of the common challenges you face when working with senior leadership of in an organization, especially when we're talking about time and energy commitment? Yeah, it's definitely a very important yeah, stakeholder group for the success of an OKR implementation. And I would say the first big challenge I often encounter is even already at the beginning that they often look at OKRs solely from their point of view. Right? Mm. So what do they want to achieve for the organization? Why is it really important for them, for their overview, for their level of commitment, for the way that they want the organization to collaborate and things like that? And sometimes it's really hard to get them to see other people's perspectives, put them into the shoes of a team member saying, oh, it's great that you want more focus and alignment overall, but what's then in it for me? How does that help me when I now have a feature list here and stakeholder requirements here and for full backlog there, and now you want me to do OKRs as well? At least that's what people often feel like. Mm. And so kind of getting these different perspectives together is something, and there we come back to the second point you mentioned, time. It takes time, it takes empathy, it takes, yeah, there again, conscious consideration of what does it imply if I want people to work with OKR. And so I think what I often find when I work with, with senior leaders is, of course, that they tell me, well, we don't have time to actually get into that. You go work with the teams and make it happen. And I think that's the first real red flag for me saying, okay, if you don't see that this is part of your responsibility, that you familiarize yourself with the framework, with the implications, with also the requirements that you set on your teams, then I don't think you set it up for success. So I think that's on the opposite. It's a really yeah a green flag for me working with leadership teams if they themselves take the time to educate themselves, not just in a workshop with me, but if they simply read the material that I give out, if they ask questions, if they follow up on the challenges that we then maybe encounter in the workshop, and if they're really interested to also talk to, for example, their staff or team members about, okay, what does that feel like? All the way up to, are they willing to try it out themselves? Do they see a necessity to invest their time and their mental capacity into actually making this work? Or is it more, we see there is a problem, let other people fix that? Oftentimes, senior leaders are very stretched for time. I've talked to like executive assistants and chiefs of staff who say, getting 30 minutes even, <laughs> yeah. from their executive feels like dragging them to the dentist. They don't want to do it. They seem so busy. Yeah. In terms of actual commitment itself, how do you get them to commit? And how much are you asking of a senior leader when you're saying, look, in order for this to be successful, you need to participate. You're going to increase the probability of success of OKR adoption and implementation with your teams if you're a part of this is what I'm asking you to do. What is your ask? My ask to just make it very practical is often that they participate in the first workshop. 
So for me, it's not about just quickly explaining OKRs and then setting up an implementation plan, but I rather want the leadership team who is then responsible also afterwards to make it work to really understand the concept. And for me, it has proven successful to get them together in a room for one day or in modules if we do it remotely or something like that. And I know that's often a hard nut to crack, but like from my experience in the past, it makes such a big difference if you've got a group of people who have a shared understanding and you cannot develop a shared understanding of something that is new to you in half an hour or an hour, mm -hmm. but you actually need interaction, discussions and all that. Sometimes that's not the first step. Sometimes we start an experiment with a team because the leadership team is not there yet. But what I'm always then looking out for are kind of alleys in the leadership team who see the necessity, who then take maybe the success stories or something else back to their team. And then maybe over time we get there. But see, in every implementation that I've led so far, the moment that the leadership team engages in the full understanding of the framework, things change very quickly because Ooh. then they also understand the complexity of the endeavor. And then you can have a very different conversation also with me as an external expert, right? Because we then share the same language. They know about the challenges. They have maybe experimented themselves, know where they bump into challenges when it comes to the application. So then, yeah, turns very different. But I would say, yeah, coming back to, I haven't been that persistent in the past. I guess these days, if a leadership team is not at all willing to engage in that and invest in that, Sometimes I even said, and it's okay, then you're not there yet. That's fine. But then let's not talk about a full implementation of a framework that basically changes a lot of things in your organization. To me, that's still ridiculous because you don't want to take one day to change the entire way you work with goals in your organization. That's just not a good fit, right? Natalia, I really love how you've adapted over time and are really sticking with your guns because I think at the end of the day, it'll probably end up with a much smoother experience for everyone, knowing what the responsibilities are up front, as well as the consequences for either decision, investment or not, for sure. Okay, you have shared before, if time is a problem, you set making time the first OKR, which is the first <laughs> time I've ever heard that. Can you share a bit more about this conceptually, like making your first OKR be about the time commitment what about the milestones, the objectives, key results, so that these leaders actually participate? Like you, you mean business here, and I'm very interested to hear like how you think about it and how you actually implement this idea with those leadership teams. Yeah, absolutely. It's actually more common than you think because I actually did an open space session with a colleague on that last year at a managed agile leadership conference because I think we all stumble upon the same issue, right? People always say we don't have time for that or capacity is such an issue. So that just comes up all the time in all kinds of organizations. And so what I often suggest is that if that comes up, sometimes teams are willing to really set that as a goal in already the first cycle. Sometimes you need three or four or five cycles where that topic comes up every single time to finally get them to then commit to, okay, let's do something about this problem. Let's get that off the ground that we can finally talk about something else because they get annoyed by that themselves. But I think what I try to do is make them think about how to achieve a state where they can engage in something new without feeling like it's a total burden for them from the start. Mm -hmm. And that's a question that I try to ask, are we there yet? Can you really invest your time, your mental capacity into something new, really engage in that, also be free to experiment 
without just having the second after sort of like, oh, I don't have time for that. And if I do this, then that will follow. And then I need to postpone these meetings and they go into this whole consequence negative thinking. And mm -hmm. so what I try to then analyze a little with the teams first is what is the actual problem? Meaning, is it really a time problem? So is it really just, I literally don't have time in the calendar or is it maybe a context switch problem because I've, I'm scheduled with these half hour Zoom call nightmares over the day. So I just have to switch back and forth and I don't really find kind of the time and also the, yeah, the, the mental strengths to just concentrate on something new for a longer time. Or is it maybe something that is rather a dependency problem because I'm dependent on so many other teams that I always feel like I'm dragged into all different directions. So that's the first thing that I try to analyze. Okay, what is then actually the problem before we then set a goal towards, okay, what can be then a potential solution? And maybe just to give you an example. So if it's rather a time problem, some key results that teams use that can be, of course, very different depending on the team and the problem and all that. But it's, for example, that they want to achieve that they only plan for 80% capacity, which for some teams is already mind blowing, right? Because normally you plan for 100 or 120 and then right. things coming up or surprises and whatnot. So I've got what, two teams that planned for 80% capacity and they really tried to stick with that in every negotiation for sprints or backlog plannings and whatnot saying, okay, we're at 85% already, we need to cut something off because that would give them the wiggle room for surprises to engage in something new like OKRs and all that. The second thing is really make work visible first, because most of the times people say we're so overloaded with work, but they don't really actually know what they're doing mm. and how, where the time is actually going. So then sometimes they run experiments for a month or two to actually make it visible. What am I doing? For which stakeholder, for which project am I doing something? Where is my time going? How many context switches do I have? And all that just to have a reality check of what is the actual status quo that we're trying to change to then find levers to actually do that. And the third thing I really love, and that's not really a key result, but I guess that does not matter so much for me in the first experiment, is that they plan for things like eat the frog days, for example, right? that they have these days together in a team and that comes back maybe to the 80% capacity that every Friday we meet and we do some of the most annoying things that will bring us forward in the future, but that we really hate doing right now. So that we eat all the frogs together that will then save us time and give us a little more freedom and room to breathe in the future to then engage something new. It's sometimes not the best OKR sets to the start, but I think it helps to just get the method off the ground and also give them the chance to change something about the way that they approach work, which I find is a huge benefit per se, even if they don't really do the OKRs properly. But that's not the thing that I focus on most, I would say, in this first step. We're going to take a short break. You're listening to Dreams with Deadlines the podcast that brings you real stories of trials and victories in business, brought to you by Quantiv. Quantiv is a strategy execution platform that helps organizations create greater strategic agility and excel at execution. With more than 2,000 customers, Quantiv helps companies close the gap between strategy and execution to achieve their best possible. And now, back to the show. You learn how to do OKRs by doing OKRs, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so when we let's dig into this eat the frog day thing, where did this come from? And what are some of the benefits that you've seen working with teams 
when you've set up, let's say, an OKR like this, and then you've complemented that with a new practice. Every Friday, we're going to do the things that we don't want to do. Where'd this come from? And how did that benefit the organization? If you can provide an example, that would be amazing. Yeah, sure. I think one example that I remember is, I don't know if you have ever used the metaphor of the big domino. So Mm -hmm. you're looking out for the kind of the big domino pieces. So the things that you need to do in order to get everything kind of run smoother. Just a simple example that you're looking for a cleaning person rather than trying to squeeze in more time for actually cleaning your apartment, right? So what can Mm -hmm. you do where you invest time once to then get more freedom and room to breathe later because you found a huge lever? And so I brought kind of these domino pieces to the teams and they were collecting ideas. Okay, what could actually help us? What could be one of these big levers that we could invest time once in our team to make our lives easy in the future? And that's when one of the team members then came up with, oh, I read about this, these frog days. How about we try something like that? And then we started to collect things that would be potential frogs. And then, of course, people were super engaged. Ooh, all the most annoying things that we still have on our bucket list. And so we created a long list. We prioritized that. And that was basically the beginning of that experiment. And even for people who were a little skeptic, we said, okay, we just try that out now for one month, see how it goes, reflect back at mid-cycle, and then see if you want to continue or not. So make it just a very small and tangible step. This is a wonderful idea. I hope... Listeners out there, if you're hearing this, maybe you can consider doing your own Eat the Frog Day because I think this is a really fun idea to engage in really optimizing how you do business, like how you do your work. I think that's wonderful. Okay, we're going to talk about engagement. This is a challenge because whenever you start to do something different in an organization, inevitably you will have people who are crossing their arms in the back of the room, maybe the virtual room, and saying, I just don't get it. I'm not going to go do this. How do you close that gap, Natalia, with people in the organization who believe in it? Because you'll have those people too. Like they're diehard fans are like, I could see how this can help us. It's going to be amazing. And then there are equally maybe more people who say, no, this is awful. It's going to do more harm to good. Why are we even doing this? How do you bridge that gap between these mentalities? Because you have to have everybody on board in order for them to be engaged, right? Yes and no. I would actually like to disagree a little because please. Yeah, there again, in my former days, I would also say, oh, let's try to get everyone on board, make them all great OKR fans. I don't believe in that really anymore because I find that often I, as an external coach to also leadership teams, they spend way too much energy and resources, especially at the beginning, to try to convince people who are rather skeptical or even against something in order to make it work. And I think it's really important that, especially at the beginning, you focus on the people that are willing to test it out, that are maybe skeptical, but say, yeah, let's go with it and not focus your energy and time so much on the people that are maybe still against it. I think you can still leave room for them. Of course, you should not exclude anyone, but I think it's really, there again, a conscious decision on what do you focus your time and energy on. The second thing I would say is really education, because I find, especially when it comes to new frameworks, new ways of working, a lot of the uncertainty that people feel is about, I don't understand this. I don't understand how it should work for me. I don't understand what is changing and why. So I think you can do or bridge a lot of these gaps already with education, with good communication, with explaining certain things to people to also yeah, build a bridge towards them and make it a little easier for them to step on the boat, right? And the third thing I would say is 
make it really tangible there again for the teams. I think that comes back to what we talked about earlier, right? If the manager only argues for what is then the greater good for the organization and leaves out the people, it will be really hard for them. So mm. when I work with teams with OKRs, I always try to make room for, okay, that's the management view. So if you're now working with OKRs, what could be in for you? What are your current challenges? How could we set up your OKR system in a way that really also helps you and not just the management team? And I think for that, it's really important that you don't, you have this tendency to standardize everything in the organization, but it's enough to set a frame, maybe agree on a cycle length or something like that for the greater good, but then leave a lot of freedom and flexibility to the teams to make it work in their context. Because I think that will take away a lot of the resistance that you often see in the teams and in the organization. And Natalia, I couldn't, oh my gosh, I really appreciate the challenge because I think what you've helped me see and hopefully others is... If you want to get people on board, there's something about saying that you're going to make a difference and then actually making the difference. So if you just get it going and you educate people and you show them what's in it for them, which is, I think, what you're describing here, it is more likely that you may win people over because it's not just talk. You're actually seeing tangible results, to your point. That makes lots of sense. Absolutely. And then I think there also we come back to the leadership teams and their role. I think if people see that you're also willing to invest time, that you put yourself out there in the trenches, you try it out, you maybe even failed with OKRs, you tell them about the obstacles you faced and all that. I think then, first of all, it gets a lot more authentic, but then it's also Mm. a lot more easy to relate to that kind of experience. Instead, if you come from your high horse and say, okay, like you people go make that work. That's Mm. a very different attitude. And I think people can feel that. And I think it's natural that they react with resistance. Like I would do too. I think a lot of us would. Like, who are you to tell me what to do? (laughs) I'm already busy. Okay, so let's talk more about OKR adoption. It's interesting because I think we've discussed before that it is possible to maybe micromanage an OKR Mm -hmm. adoption program. Like just maybe putting too many things in place too quickly. Like this could be a problem. Is it possible, though, for an OKR adoption to succeed if the implementation is a bit bloated? What are your thoughts on like the right mix here? First of all, sure, it's possible that it succeeds. I think it always depends on your definition of success, though, right? I've had a client and their sole definition of success for the OKR implementation was that everyone now works with OKRs. You can achieve that. I wouldn't say easily, but if you micromanage that, if you set up a project plan, if you force every team to work with OKRs, done, right? Success, at least from that point of view. But if your version of success is more about engagements, reaping the benefits of OKRs, creating alignment and focus and all these things, having a learning curve, then the picture might be a little different because for that, I find you need, yes, orientation and a direction, but you need a lot of freedom and flexibility, learning cycles for the people and things like that. So I wouldn't say it's the best way. Of course, there might be cases where that succeeds, but I would say it's always if you're trying to change the way that you work with something, it's a really good idea to already apply the principles behind that. OKRs, they live by short cycles, orientation, continuous improvement and all that. And I think it's always a good idea to already apply that to the first steps when you try to also implement that framework into your organization and not do the same as before, with then the new framework because also there again that's not authentic that's not the change where people really understand okay what is now happening why do we want to do something differently because we're actually not doing something differently i see the same management practices that we have before but you just have a new product in your hands basically and so 
I think that makes a huge difference and it will take a lot longer, I believe, for people to adapt. I can agree with that. I can imagine that people would, if anything, be annoyed. (laughs) Probably. It seems like you have shared, basically, that there is no one way or even right way of adopting OKRs or even the rationale for using them. However, through your book and on your website, you provide guidance uh, and good practices for shaping OKRs based on the needs and desired outcomes for at any given point in time. At a high level, can you walk us through like some of the guidelines one should consider when developing a well-designed OKR system? I think it's totally true what you said. I don't believe there is this one way of OKRs. There are underlying principles, as I just mentioned, right? That, of course, unite, I would say, everyone or should unite everyone that works with OKRs. But I think there's a lot of freedom, luckily, to make it work in your context, in your organization. And I think the first important step or guidance that I always give is, of course, looking at the problem that you're trying to solve, right? Really understanding, okay, what is this whole endeavor actually about? Why do we want to engage with OKRs? What are we trying to achieve with them? Where do we start? Where are we going? Having clarity on all of that. It sounds so logically, but... Funnily enough, most organizations still today, when I ask them about it, they cannot really answer these type of questions, at least not to the level of detail that I would like them to. So I think that's often going back to the start. Why did you even start to work with OKRs in the first place? And if you don't have a solid answer for that, maybe you want to revisit that again. And I think then really consciously building a system that focuses on the problem. And what I often see is when I ask customers, what do you want to achieve with OKRs? They basically list every single business problem they have, right? Oh, they want gosh. more alignment, more focus, more collaboration, more strategy, execution, more this and that. And I mean, as we know, if everything is a priority and needs nothing. fixing, then nothing is, right? Nothing and I think the is. same is true for your OKR system. So hmm. I would really advise people to then condense it down there again to what is the essence? What is the priority? So it's basically the first OKR experiment of sorts to prioritize and focus what you're trying to achieve and what you're trying to optimize your OKR system for. And if you have that in place, I think then it's easier to make conscious choices on the cycle lengths, on the architecture, on all the other variables that you find in your system. If you're clear, is it more about focus? Is it more about alignment? Is it about cross-functional correlation or something else? And I would say the third thing is really educate yourself about the different variations, because I find even today, people still think a lot in yeah, the very traditional corridors. They've read something about OKRs where you only have yeah, typical org chart copy paste architecture. That's not the only way to do OKRs, right? Mm. They read about that, okay, you implement OKRs for everyone. That's also not the only way to go about that, right? Not everyone has to use OKRs to make it successful and all that. And I think the better you educate yourself or your leadership team about the variations, the easier it is to then make a conscious decision because you know the full scope and then you can select the one that fits best to your needs. Mm. So it really is about, you're pointing back to education again. Once you're educated about what is in the realm of the possible, you are maybe doing an assessment of your organization itself on what it needs, what the problems really are, get to the essence, then you can think about the solution set and the appropriate application of, like you said, the different parameters maybe that you need to consider to tool it so that it actually supports what you're trying to do, what you're trying to achieve. That totally makes sense. I love the pragmatism, (laughs) Natalia. Love it. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think we should forget the one very important piece that's 
continuous improvement of the system. So That's don't a good think point. that you do this exercise once and then you've got your perfect system because your organization changes, you get new insights, your market changes, your staff changes, your structure changes, whatnot, then you need to reiterate the system again. So that's an ongoing endeavor. It's not something that you do once and then you just leave it be. That's a good point. I like the idea of continuous improvement even to the model itself. Okay, let's talk about the future. Where do you think the future of OKRs are headed? Because it's been around a while. A lot of people may not know that, but it's been around a while, but it's picking up a lot of popularity because I think people are hearing about it all the time. But where do you think we're going? I also feel that it's becoming, I would say, a little more mainstream now with all the advantages and disadvantages that brings with it. I would say it could be very pessimistic saying, okay, as soon as it hits mainstream, it's the beginning of the end for some of the frameworks. I would say I'm an all-time optimist in that regard, so I don't think we're there yet. But I think we're at a very critical point also as an OKR community on do we now move further in a direction where we actually burn the concept just by doing big back implementations, just by ticking off the box of using OKR, making it this mainstream tool that everyone uses no matter what? Mm -hmm. Or do we make the shift towards more conscious implementations, really also questioning the way that we've been working with OKR so far, where it makes sense, where it doesn't. So get it off this pedestal that it's sometimes on in terms of, oh, this is the holy grail now of goal setting. It's a great framework. Don't get me wrong, right? That's why I work with it. But it's not a silver bullet for everything. It's not the holy grail. It's nothing like that. It's always just a means to an end, right? And I think we shouldn't forget that. And I think if the OKR community and all the consulting firms out there can move it into that direction, and I think it can do a lot of good. Very interesting. How do you think then we can improve or make what we have now even better? I think you're alluding to that already, but maybe you have some specific thoughts on, hey, okay, our community, okay, our ecosystem, we've got a good thing going. Let's think about these things so that we can be even better using this method. Yeah, I think two things particularly come into mind. One is what really shaped my view on OKRs is this, that it's part of an organizational system, right? It's not the standalone framework that you just pop into your organization and just works there in parallel towards everything else, but really put it into the corner of system thinking, of complexity thinking, of all these things and say, okay, how can we then make it work overall? And is it then a good fit for what I'm trying to achieve? So of course, make it as simple as possible to get started. I'm a huge fan of experimentation, but don't make it too simple because it is a complex endeavor to change something like that in your organizational ecosystem, right? So I think, mm. yeah, really turning towards that complexity, addressing that complexity and not trying to sell it off as something super easy to just try out. I think that's also responsibility that we have in the OKR community that we should also take seriously. And the other thing is, I think there are a lot of different trends that we can address a little more. That's why, together with my colleague, Chancel Sergens, I founded this Reshaping the Future of OKRs movement. So basically, that's the idea behind it, right? That we do community events, that we write blog posts and talk about, okay, what is the current trend? Is that moving in a direction that we find helpful? What is maybe an alternative? So just show people there again, variation, other forms of adaptation, give them just nuggets of thoughts on how to do it maybe differently and try to engage them in a conversation on how to really make it work and balance the effort and the benefit and yeah, not fall into the trap of this mainstream implementation. So I think it's a lot about communication, education, and also, as I said, taking this responsibility that it is a complex world we're working in and living in. We shouldn't sell the easy nugget, but we should actually 
yeah, help people to yeah, really get into that complex system thinking. I really appreciate that. That's thank you for the highlight too on the future of OKR deep dive that you and your longtime it looks like collaborator are working on. That's very cool. We're gonna move on over to quickfire questions. You ready? Sure. So the name of this podcast is Dreams with Deadlines. We have the Dreams with Deadlines community. What is your dream with the deadline? I would say for me, it's an expedition through Greenland before I turn 40. That was the first thing that popped into my head. I love that. That's so good. Okay, second question. What drew you to this method to begin with? I think I've always had yeah, an interest in many, many different things, but I was always interested in kind of connections and how to make things work from the bigger picture. So I think I was naturally drawn to frameworks and methods that are not easy to begin with or easy to implement, but that kind of help people to see the bigger picture, how things belong together, to learn a lot about yeah, different things, about the team, the organization, the product, and so on. And I think for me, OKR just fulfills many of these aspects. So I was naturally drawn to that. And I also see the potential to then give that possibility to other people to see the bigger picture and the connections themselves. There are a lot of, I would call, OKR explorers out there that are very new to this method. What advice would you give people who are just starting out with OKRs? I would say, don't believe everything that's written about OKRs. And I say that as an author myself, but I don't think there's like, a single source of truth out there. So keep digging, keep talking to people. And I think it's a good thing that it gets a lot more diverse. We have a lot of different opinions and perspectives about that. I think that can only enrich the conversation and yeah, the development of the topic. As we are the eternal optimists, it sounds like, but we're also very much pragmatists. This time next year, where do you hope to be? This time next year, I hope to be at yeah a really nice location, think, kind of reflecting back on the last 12 months that brought me to remote location with great customers and yeah maybe looking into a future where I found a couple more organizations that really got to the point where they say, hey, we changed how we work together and that actually now makes sense for us. We're not there yet, but it's where they have this drive, this enthusiasm. I think that was really drives me forward. And I would love to look back at a lot of projects where I met these kind of people because they believe that something can actually change in the way that we work. Last question. What is a book, maybe there are multiple, but a book that largely shaped how you think? I think there's so many out there, but I guess one thing that really shaped my inner dialogue recently was the book Speaking and Being by Kuba Gumishai. I don't know if you know that. And she talks about and explores how language shapes our thinking and determines our politics. And I think since I studied communication, language is a big part of what I do and how I work. And I think it's also really important in the context of OKRs. And I think she just shared a perspective that was new and also innovative and also provoking to me. And I think it brought back the importance of language. And I think I would love to engage a little more also around language and OKRs in the future. Wonderful. It has been such a pleasure having you on this show. I wish you all success and that by this time next year, you do have these wonderful customers where you've planted a seed and they were willing to give it a go and you've seen great success. So thanks so much, Natalia. It's been great. Thank you very much, Jenny, for the great conversation. Thanks. If you enjoyed this podcast, then we invite you to join the Dreams with Deadlines community. 
Dreams with Deadlines is a global network of ambitious business leaders and innovators who are passionate about using OKRs and agile practices to build high-performing cultures, achieve bold goals, and influence our world for the better. Learn more and join us at dwd.community.